Hey everyone, just a quick message before we start with the podcast. So unless you've been living under a rock for the past month or so, you'll know that there's been a huge surge in support and activism for the Black Lives Matter movement uh, from all around the world. Pressuring our governments to reform policing and other institutions are crucial in order to end racial inequality everywhere. So signing petitions, donating uh, if you're able to, I know that it's tough times for a lot of people at the moment, Um, going on marches and even just educating yourself and those around you can go a long way to help. So down below in the description I've left a link you can use to help out. It's got petitions, information for when marches will be held and educational resources so you can better understand what we're fighting for. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to This Is Not History, the show where we explore scenarios that could have happened had events gone differently. My name is Tom, um, I realise I didn't introduce myself in the last episode, but yeah, apologies for that. Um, if you don't already know me, uh, my name is Tom Delaghi, I am a history and politics student so this whole sort of theme that we've got going on it's my thing i like it i enjoy it a lot i hope we're all doing well we're all healthy hopefully we're all still following guidelines in regards to covid just keeping everyone safe Just before we get into today's episode, uh, I wanted to let you all know that we have a Twitter. So uh, that is at NotHistoryPod. It'll have updates on uh, when new episodes uh, will be coming out. You could always leave requests down there uh, for possible alternate history scenarios that you'd like to hear about being explored on this podcast. So uh, just wanted to let you all know. Anyway, enough yapping on about stuff that you don't care about. Um, Let's get into the topic of today's episode. So, this is, what if the Dunkirk evacuation failed? So, Dunkirk is one of those key events in the early stages of World War II, where the perception of it in the eyes of the general public is a great big mass of contradictions. By almost all measurements, the time leading up to the operation was a monumental disaster. The fact that Operation Dynamo, which is the official name for the Dunkirk evacuation, the fact that Dynamo had to be carried out at all was a sign of failure, um, as it saw Germany on the verge of knocking France completely out of the war. During this period, the Allies, although this mainly applies to Britain, were facing certain defeat on land, the annihilation of their army, and imminent invasion. Britain estimated that the number of men who would make it home was roughly 30,000, out of a number closer to 400,000. With the help of civilians who sailed out in boats to aid in the evacuation, 338,000 soldiers, 120,000 of them being French, made it home to Britain. The event was a pretty powerful political victory for newly appointed 
Prime Minister Winston Churchill, uh, who used the event to bolster the public's morale in order to continue the fight in a sort of he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day sort of thing. Um, He'd been facing pretty stoic opposition in his war cabinet uh, who wished to negotiate with Hitler and come to peace terms. But what if Dynamo failed? In an alternate timeline where the majority of the BEF, that's British Expeditionary Force, was captured on the beaches of northern France, how does that affect Britain's internal politics as well as their empire? And how does it affect the war's outcome? All this will be covered, but first, before we can take a look at the alternate history, we have to make sure that we know the real history. So here is some historical context to make sure that we're all caught up. So many of you, especially if you're like me and you learnt about this for uh, your GCSE history qualification, you'll know pretty well about the build-up to uh, World War Two. But basically, Hitler, who was um, the dictator, the Führer of Germany, um, he'd been in power since 1933, um, Hitler had been advocating for the country to expand its territory into lands that it had lost at the end of the First World War. So in 1938, Austria was annexed into the Reich, and then later that year, Hitler annexed the German-speaking region of Czechoslovakia called the Sudetenland. He then went on to swiftly annex the rest of the country. Britain and France, the two great Western democracies, um, were haunted by the horrors of the First World War, the Great War as it was known, and would most definitely not prepared to fight another with Germany. So Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain of Britain was a proponent of the the appeasement policy towards Germany, which basically meant that they allowed Hitler to have these lands in the hopes that it would quench his hunger for more territorial expansion and hope that a second world war could be avoided. Um, however, by the end of the Sudeten crisis, it was clear that this policy was not working. So the Allies... Um, issued a guarantee of independence of Poland, a nation formed from old German territory, and stated that any act of aggression against them would lead to a declaration of war. Uh, So fast forward to September of 1939. This is where war breaks out. So despite the Allies' guarantee of Poland, uh, Germany disregards it and invades Poland, forcing Britain and France to declare war. So the Germans smashed through the small nation in just over a month. And despite being in a state of war with Germany, neither Britain or France launched any major offensive against Germany. So what came next was a period known as the Phony War, where none of the countries that were fighting each other actually did anything. They just sort of sat about. Britain and France had a very sort of defensive mindset that was born from the trench warfare of the First World War. So they were content just to sit behind their forts and wait for Germany to make the first move, which was a mistake. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Anyway, so fast forward to May of 1940. Um, Germany had invaded Denmark and Norway the month before and had just begun to invade the low countries of the Netherlands, Belgium and Luxembourg in order to bypass French defences on their shared border and plunge deep into France. Their new Blitzkrieg military strategy utilised fast-moving tanks and trucks with infantry units bringing up the rear to surround and destroy their enemy. 
This was terrifyingly effective, and within the first weeks, the Low Countries were all but lost. The British, French, and the remnants of the Belgian army were unable to halt this advance, and as Nazis began pouring into northern France, the bulk of their armies were encircled around the port of Dunkirk. Soon, plans for an evacuation were being made. So, Chamberlain had been kicked out of office in a vote of no confidence due to his failure to prepare the country for war and also his uh, failures in the Norwegian campaign. And his colleague, Winston Churchill, took his place. Pulling off this evacuation, codenamed Dynamo, was his first great challenge. There were many in his cabinet, namely Lord Halifax, who opposed the idea of prolonging a conflict that, at this stage, was almost certain to see a British defeat. However, the government called on all civilians on the south coast of England who had access to ships to aid in the evacuation. Over the next few days, the little ships, as they came to be known, helped ferry troops from the beach to the armoured ships that were too big and bulky to dock directly by the shoreline. By early June, more than ten times as many soldiers, British and French, had made it safely to English shores. This cemented Churchill's position as PM and made it clear that Britain would not be surrendering to the Nazis any time soon. So there were many factors that led to this evacuation being a success. The efforts of the mainly French soldiers who were ordered to stay behind and man the front lines to ensure that the Germans didn't break through and reach the port while the evacuation was taking place. Um, there was also the efforts of the RAF in diverting the attention of the Luftwaffe, that's the German Air Force, away from bombing civilian and military ships ferrying soldiers across the channel. However, in this episode we'll only be focusing on one decision that impacted the outcome of the evacuation. But this wasn't a decision made by Allied commanders, but by the Führer himself. So if you're Adolf Hitler in the summer of 1940, on paper you're thinking, wow, this has been great, look how quickly we've overrun all these countries and we've almost knocked out France, this is going great. However, despite the enemy being surrounded, there were some in the German high command that saw weaknesses in the front line. So there were worries that their soldiers hadn't had adequate rest since the beginning of operations in the West and this would impede on their performance. One individual who was voicing uh, these worries was, by the way, I am gonna butcher a lot of German pronunciation, but um, I mean, th these people are Nazis, so don't really care to be honest. Anyway, uh, Field Marshal Gert von Rundstedt advocated for a halt to attacks on the Dunkirk pocket in order for them to consolidate their position before advancing once more. Hermann Goering, chief of the Luftwaffe, agreed and reasoned that his fighters could keep the enemy occupied on the beaches while the army waited. Hitler agreed with this and ordered a halt to any major advance on the Dunkirk pocket. It's argued by historians that this was one of the biggest mistakes Hitler made, or at least in the beginning of the war, uh, as it gave the Allies enough time to get most of their men off the beaches. Anyway, by June 4th, Dunkirk was captured. It's viewed in almost a mystical way in the British psyche. It's a very much romanticised failure, but despite all the glitz and the glam, it did give Britain the energy, or at least its people, the energy, to continue the fight and in time 
help win it. So, that's it. We're all caught up now. We know what happened in real life. But, what if things had gone differently? What if Hitler had authorised a continued land assault on Dunkirk? They may have taken more casualties, but it's not a stretch to say that more Allied troops would have been captured. So, let's find out. So this new alternate timeline uh, starts off very much the same as in our own timeline. So, the war starts out the same. Hitler invades Poland, the Allies declare war, and then in May of 1940, the Germans begin their blitzkrieg on the Western Front. However... Once British and the French are encircled at Dunkirk, we reach our divergence point. Instead of ordering his armies to halt their advance in order to catch their breath and sending in Göring's Luftwaffe, Hitler chooses to take the risk and orders his generals to plough on. So, the tanks roll in, and within a week, the pocket is enveloped entirely. Something closer to the original estimate of 20,000, 30,000 British troops managed to escape to Britain. None of them are French. So... Immediately, what I can say about this is that it changes the possibilities of the war. Churchill sorely needed a win for the Allied cause, not even a victory, just something that could be spun as good news to the British public to keep their morale up. However, if only 30,000 of the 390,000 Brits make it back, it's a political catastrophe with worse consequences than even the fall of France had in real life. By this point, I think it's highly likely that Churchill would be forced to resign. So his extremely short tenure, like the one of his predecessor, would be remembered only as a failure. Even if somehow he doesn't lose a vote of no confidence in the House of Commons and he manages to stay in power, how would Britain fight back? The British had no real way of combating the Nazis. One, the bulk of its regular army, all of their motorised equipment and heavy guns and all of that, stuff that they need to fight was left behind in the escape. Two, the Navy and the Air Force are still mostly intact, but that doesn't really help the French at all, who are, you know, on the verge of capitulating themselves. It's not going to stop the tanks rolling into Paris. And thirdly, just because you no longer have an army doesn't mean that they're no longer in play. All those soldiers are still there, well, those that survived anyway. They're all there in occupied territory as prisoners of war. This becomes essentially what is the biggest hostage crisis in history and one where the Germans have a massive bargaining chip, the lives of these young men. So realistically, there's no way that Britain can fight back now. I think it's likely that a former appeasement advocate takes over as PM um, and seeks an armistice with Hitler, with France following suit. Now, with regards to the armistice, I don't know how harsh the treaty would be. I mean, in our timeline, after the fall of France, but before the Battle of Britain, Germany actually offered Britain what seemed to many to be pretty favourable peace terms. Um, Hitler said that Britain would be allowed to keep their empire so long as they gave Germany a free hand to expand into Eastern Europe. Um, This was uh, rejected by Churchill, which led to the rest of the war continuing. Um, However, this might not be the same in this alternate timeline, as the Nazis have massive leverage over the British throughout the negotiation period. It's likely that the French returned the territory of Alsace-Lorraine 
to Germany, which had been confiscated at the end of World War One, and that both countries are subject to war reparations like Germany was in the last war. The French government, which had been facing unrest for years prior to the war, um, would collapse like Britain's did. It's likely that new governments, at least friendly to the Nazis, are established in Britain and France. So this was done in real life during the war in France with Marshal Philippe Pétain, 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 whatever, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, taking control of the German puppet state of Vichy France. However, in peacetime, it's likely that someone else is picked to head the new government. In Britain, I think that the likely candidate for PM, the leader of the British Union of Fascists, Oswald Mosley, he had an ambivalent approach to dealing with the Nazis during the interwar years, so he wouldn't aid the Nazis, he just turned a blind eye to their activities in Eastern Europe. The future of this new Mosley government in Britain is pretty uncertain. I don't know how stable its foundations would be, seeing that it was blatantly established by the Germans. It's likely that they don't have much popular support, um, but that can always change. There's a possibility of organised militias rising up, but I don't think they'd be anything more than a guerrilla force. For the rest of the empire, Mosey would be very unpopular. Um, the dominions of Canada, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa would start making moves towards independence. For the Indian independence movement, this would just be another grievance in their list to escape Britain's control. Um, it's likely that Britain would expend much more energy in the following years, clamping down on its African and Asian colonies, suppressing any dissent that they find. But regardless of the details, the war is done. Britain's out, as are the rest of the Allies. So what happens next? So in this alternate timeline, the war would have been fought and won by Germany within 10 months. This would be an unprecedented achievement, with Hitler having done what the Kaiser had failed to do in World War I in four years of trench warfare in less than a year. The scope of the war had been minimised, so there's no Battle of Britain, there's no Battle of the Atlantic, and there's no North African Front. War only broke out in North Africa, the Middle East, the Mediterranean, as a result of Italian involvement, who we haven't spoken about yet, but here we go. Italy, with its low industrial capabilities and relatively weak military compared to the other great powers, France and Germany, could no longer declare war on Britain without the support of Germany. Dictator Benito Mussolini always dreamed of rebuilding a new Roman Empire, and expanding into British and French territory in Africa would be his way of going about doing that. However, this is not feasible anymore. And it's not like Hitler would help them expand through political pressure on the British to hand over their colonies to the Italians. He hated Italians. See, in Hitler's mind, his warped racial hierarchy saw German Aryans at the top, then the Western Europeans, and then the Mediterraneans. Hitler saw Italians as a lazy and weak race who were basically unfit for power. Um, so Germany would keep out of all Mediterranean affairs and wouldn't support Mussolini's uh, drive for expansion. So Italy, frustrated at being able to expand into French and British territory, would likely focus on the Balkan region, 
So that's Yugoslavia, Albania, Greece, etc. If war broke out, it's likely that they'd fight alone and possibly meet opposition armed by other European powers. So quickly shifting our attention back to events in Germany. Um, Hitler's got an Eastern problem. I mean, life is still pretty good for you right about now if you're Adolf Hitler. You've invaded huge tracts of Europe and forced your most dangerous rivals to surrender with a relatively short period of fighting. However, this isn't where Hitler would just stop. Even before coming to power in 1933, it was always Hitler's main goal to invade the Soviet Union, which is present-day Russia, Ukraine, Baltic states, etc, etc. His Nazi ideology saw it as a, in his words, Judeo-Bolshevik conspiracy, um, which aimed to conquer the entire globe. Hitler planned to exterminate the Slavic peoples of the East and repopulate these former Russian lands with German settlers, which he actually modelled off Manifest Destiny, the killing of Native Americans in the United States. I think that sometime after Britain's surrender, maybe a year or so, Hitler would launch an attack against the Soviets. I'm undecided as to how this would go initially. In our timeline, Operation Barbarossa, um, this is the codename for the invasion of Russia, uh, started off as a total disaster for the Russians, with Germans surrounding and destroying mind-boggling numbers of soldiers in the first months of fighting. The Red Army, in my view, was terribly prepared to face the German onslaught for two main reasons. Firstly, Joseph Stalin, the leader of the USSR, was always paranoid of his army, seeing it as an area where anti-communist sentiment would be able to rise. So, throughout the 1930s, he purged the army of all officials he deemed to be disloyal. This period in Russian history became to be known, unsurprisingly, as the Great Purge. So, their positions were filled by party hacks who were loyal to Stalin, but were inadequate generals, which really impacted the performance of the army at large. Secondly, Stalin thought that Hitler would never open a second front against the Russians while they were already fighting another one against the British. As long as Britain was in the war, in Stalin's eyes, the Soviet Union was safe. However, Hitler just wasn't a logical thinker. In our timeline, he suspected that the only reason that the British chose to keep fighting, even after the loss of their main ally France, was that they hoped the Russians would intervene. And so, Hitler went after the Russians. However, in this alternate timeline, with Britain out of the war, it would seem that the time had come for the Soviets. War wouldn't break out immediately after the Allies fell, but the Russians would have a far greater heads up on the German invasion than in our own timeline. However, despite this pretty hefty advantage for the Russians, the Germans are aided by the fact that they can focus all their attention on the Eastern Front. With Britain out of the war, it leads to advantages being gained for both sides. I think that the outcome of this Eastern War is pretty hard to predict. Whether it's seen as an extension of the war in the West, or its own conflict, is up for debate. One thing I think can be certain. 30 million lives were lost on the Eastern Front alone in real life. With both sides better prepared for war, it's likely that more would have to die in order for one side to force the other to crack. And that's where I'm going to leave it for this episode. A Europe made up of various authoritarian regimes with anything recognisable as a democracy no longer existing. 
the British Empire would be severely destabilised with dominions moving towards independence and crackdowns across Asia and Africa. The history of North Africa would be very different, as no major wars are fought there. Mussolini would likely have to turn to the Balkans to build his Novus Imperium Romanum. And of course, the war between the Nazis and the Soviets would be far from decided. Whether Hitler manages to expand German territory into the east for Lebensraum and wipe out the Slavic peoples, or if the Soviets are able to blunt the Nazi invaders and push them back to Berlin, that's hard to predict. Tracing these events back to their root cause always has the effect of leading to questions being asked about how the world would be like had things gone differently. Changing one event allows this scenario to at least be possible. One that could have easily have happened had one decision made by the Fuhrer been reversed. The decision to halt the attack on Dunkirk. And so that's it for today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, please do remember that down in the description, we have a link for you to check out, um, which has petitions, uh, places for you to donate, information on the Black Lives Matter movement. Any sort of help can go a long way. So please do uh, have a look at that. Also, as I previously mentioned, we now have a Twitter account, so that's at NotHistoryPod, um, where you can get updates on new episodes coming out. It can even be a place for you to give suggestions um, on what episodes you want to see next. Any suggestions are always appreciated. So I hope you all have a great day. Um, I will see you in the next episode of This Is Not History.